the big shift in our thinking has been to go from thinking about products as the building block to customers as the building block right and for us checkout finance is the beginning of a relationship with a customer it's how we acquire customers it's how customers discover us but once the customer uses us to finance one purchase our aspiration is to be able to grow with that customer to meet other needs as they arise right and so we call this a low and grow approach where we start small and based on customer repayment history and and feedback we are able to give them larger and larger credit amounts to buy other purchases like a tv or a fridge and eventually graduate them to even larger you know term facilities where they can finance things like education um, you know personal requirements healthcare etc right hi welcome to the daily tech conversation where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs cxos and investors from around the world whose work has a bearing on india i'm hariyarakli and in this episode shashank rishyasringa and gaurav hinduja co-founders of axio well known fintech venture in the lending space talk about how they found their niche with what they call checkout finance with some 6 million consumers using their products and adding hundreds of thousands more every month they also talk about the opportunity ahead to build on top of the checkout finance product which they have developed into a strong business in partnership with some of the biggest e-commerce players and go deeper into small town india welcome to both of you to this podcast wonderful to have you two with us uh, today me thanks for having us thank you thank you fintech is of course a very hot area in india many of you are telling us that it's this is only the beginning and there's lot more is going to come in the coming months and years maybe uh, that's a good starting point maybe you all could talk about you know the original idea behind why you started axio the problem that you saw at that time in india and we'll get going from there no sure hari and again thanks for having us i think you've you've seen us at multiple points in the journey so it's it's i think particularly relevant to have this conversation today um you know when we began back in 2014 we we started with this idea of wanting to improve access to credit through technology and specifically the focus was on small ticket retail credit now the challenge back then is there were very few rails this was a few years before upi geo india stack right all of that um and so we kind of weaved our way through several different iterations different products different sectors to try and figure out where could we could find the right product market fit around 16 and 17 the whole landscape changed underneath us right you had the geo scale up you had upi you had india stack reach maturity and you had demonetization which obviously kicked a lot of digital adoption into high gear and we started to see our um, kind of embedded finance or checkout finance products start to grow really quickly right and this was something we had built in partnership with large players such as amazon to weave credit into the purchase experience of customers as we were starting to really scale this up you had the twin shocks of the ilfs crisis and then covid and we were you know a bit apprehensive as to how uh, the model would play out but after the first few months of lockdown we started to see a very interesting trend right and we started to see that customers were beginning to join our platform and sign up for our product in kind of very rapid succession 
and within you know the first year i would say of covid we had actually gone from having about half a million customers to having nearly 2 million customers and just to put things into context it took us you know 5 years to get to 500000 customers another one year to quadruple that right and i think a couple of things were happening here one is the structure of commerce was which was already shifting from offline to online undertook an acceleration the second is that the consumer behavior around accessing financial products changed with a clear bias towards digital you know earlier apprehensions around doing signing documents digitally doing kyc digitally all melted away during covid and that set us on a trajectory of very rapid growth through partnerships with large e-commerce platforms where we offer financing at the point of sale and to cut a long story short i think where we are today is we now have about 6 million customers so 3x growth actually in the last one year and adding about you know 3 lakh new customers every single month um obviously this growth has been staggering right but even more exciting than the top line growth is actually the risk metrics that we've now started to see right because after a journey of you know experimenting with different underwriting methods collections methods i think we've been able to settle into a model where we're now able to deliver loss rates of under 2% about 1.5% on average right and this is a result of years of data starting to accumulate and compound to a point when our underwriting line assignment and collections models are operating at a very high level of accuracy just to give you an example even during lockdown our collection efficiency was about 95% one of the highest in the industry um powered in large part by many of the models that have reached a point of maturity today so that's where we're at today um and i think i'll, I'll pause there and and maybe gorov can add on you know what the path ahead is yeah ari so as we you know look forward for the next i'll say 3 to 4 years right i think there are two areas of growth that we actually see accelerating so one is continuing on the path of where we provide checkout finance for you know large platforms and i think you know we will end this financial year at 8 million customers and the goal for next year is to take that up to at least about 15 to 18 million customers which we feel quite confident about the second is you know the problem that we are really trying to solve is to go lower and lower in the credit value ecosystem if i can call it that so in the first 4 5 years i would say barely 5% of our borrowers were you know uh, non carded or new to bureau uh maybe we were the first lender in the last 2 years that number has reached about 30 35% and for actually people who don't have a credit card almost 60% of our base doesn't have a credit card as i look towards the next 2 years right i would think that at least 50% of our base will be completely new to credit or uh, will not even have a credit card right and i think that then means getting foreign more into tier three towns not tier one and two because we're already there but tier three tier four and as we are seeing the digital penetration kind of very quickly evolve i think that's really the opportunity set because let's face it i think in the bigger cities top 10 cities the market is saturated with the large banks who do a pretty good job over there right but the real opportunity set is the next you know 200 300 million who today are shopping online but don't have access to credit mm. can you delve into this uh, to the why of your 3x growth a little bit more i think you mentioned some of the uh, points briefly can you get into what you've seen in terms of the real reasons that customers are embracing axio uh, to such an extent now 
Sure. So I think the the first reason is you know uh, we are embedded into some of the largest e-commerce ecosystems in the country. Now I can name a few: Amazon, the entire Razorpay ecosystem, Make My Trip, uh, and one or two more very large ones which will come on board in this quarter. Now these are obviously each of these platforms have hundreds of maybe fifty to hundred plus million people transacting every month. Uh, and so, because we are embedded there as probably the only checkout finance provider, we get to see a lot of customers who typically we would be much harder or would be much more expensive to acquire outside of these large platforms. The second is, like I said, because in these platforms we make the process of acquiring credit very very easy for the customer. Right. So, if today on Amazon you're shopping, in under three seconds. I may be able to underwrite you, right? While you're checking out and tell you, "Hey, you're approved for a loan of let's say ten thousand rupees," right? And you can actually use it while completing the transaction that is lying in your cart. And that is a level of technology and underwriting prowess that has taken us a few years to honestly build. The third headwind obviously came from COVID, but the fourth, I think, is really how we are able to manage risk because we're able to manage risk. At let's say around a two percent loss rate, that gives us and our lenders a lot more confidence to make sure that we can actually grow and keep acquiring and just you know make sure the the wheel kind of spins faster. So today the checkout finance is your flagship product. It's the main source for the bulk of your revenues. And so that's a very interesting question, Hari. Right? Um, you know most most financial institutions are organized by product right home loans car loans credit cards and for the first few years we were organized like that too the big shift in our thinking has been to go from thinking about products as the building block to customers as the building block right mm. and for us checkout finance is the beginning of a relationship with a customer it's how we acquire customers it's how customers discover us but once the customer uses us to finance one purchase our aspiration is to be able to grow with that customer to meet other needs as they arise right and so we call this a low and grow approach where we start small and based on customer repayment history and and feedback we're able to give them larger and larger credit amounts to buy other purchases like a tv or a fridge and eventually graduate them to even larger you know term facilities where they can finance things like education um you know personal requirements healthcare etc right so you think of checkout finance as the beginning of the journey um as we help customers build a track record on us and then we match that track record with pro- with products and services that meet their needs as they grow in life and uh, this point about going lower and further down the pyramid if you can give us a little bit of context i think you also talked about this in the past 100 million or digitally enabled yeah so there are about 100 let's say about 130 250 million customers shopping online today uh, there are about let's say 250 million plus who are using upi and uh, only 30 million today have a credit card is that there are about 60 70 million cards in the country but but unique holders are only about 30 million now if i fast forward this by 2 3 years Right, the 150 million online shoppers is slated to become about 250 million, whereas the credit card growth is expected to go from 30 to about let's say 50, 60. Right, so there is a massive let's say 200 million opportunity come let's say 2024, 2025, uh, 
that will be very digitally active shopping on some of the largest platforms without a credit instrument right they may have a home loan or an auto loan but no easy to access credit instrument that will help them kind of pay for their durables you know, online right and that is the reason that we are actually focusing on that because that's really the entry point into their credit journey is to give them a small credit line and then grow with them right so we typically start today at let's say around 3 or 5000 rupees once we see successful repayments we take that up to 10 then 20 then 50 right and so we like to see the growth of that customer while making sure we are not over leveraging them and that's the most important piece of it mm. can you talk about uh, some of the innovations within your product whether it is tech driven or otherwise that makes it easy for people to use your products yeah um so you know i think as gaurav mentioned earlier hari one of the First and core innovations for us was embedding ourselves at the point of checkout, right? You have a lot of, you know, loan apps today where people can go to websites and go to the Play Store and download things. But we felt that the true power of credit is when it's contextual. And so our first major innovation was being able to layer in a credit approval and disbursement process at the point of checkout in some of the most tra highly, you know, trafficked real estate in the country. And this was not an easy journey. Uh, and to be able to, you know, deliver response times of, you know, 100 milliseconds on some of the largest platforms in the country on Diwali sale day has been a, a, a kind of, in some ways, the, the most important innovation for us. The second piece for us has been around um, being able to manage risk in an automated fashion, right? So as we've grown from to about 6 million customers, um, we need to not only underwrite these customers at the point of checkout, but also manage their credit limits over their life cycle intelligently, right? Which means reward good customers with larger, larger facilities, um, not let customers or not don't have strong repayment behavior, take more credit. And so this kind of dynamic, uh, dynamic credit management, um, and being able to do that in an automated fashion that that sits on the back end of our business but it's crucial to the customer experience of how they use our product responsibly and scalably. And third, um, and I think this is one something we're very excited about going forward is our app, right? So you would recall that, you know, we acquired Walnut a few years ago uh, and for a few years, you know, Walnut and the lending business ran separately uh, with the rebrand to Axio, we actually unified these two products under a single brand. And so today on our app, a customer can access credit on the one hand, but at the same time, manage their finances, um, set a budget, set goals, monitor savings, et cetera. And we believe this is one of the first times globally that someone as a financial services provider has integrated credit and savings in the same experience, right? And we think this is very powerful for two reasons. One, it, 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 it kind of creates a positive bias in our customer base for customers who want to be on top of their finances, and that helps us manage risk. The second is for those customers, it gives them the ability to use credit responsibly as a tool when it's when it kind of makes their life better, but not at any point as a trap where they could end up straying well beyond their means. And so imagine a customer, you know, buying a fridge on installments and then at the end of the month setting a budget to ensure that he's able to pay his EMIs. That's the kind of paradigm change in financial services. Uh, that we are looking to bring and the app is a big part of that to begin with earlier this year you also changed your uh, 
brand name to Axio. And, and I'm thinking now, I mean, listening to whatever you all have said so far, that you're looking at a, a significant next phase of growth and also uh, in a way that brings in all these different capabilities. So can you talk about uh, the rebranding? What's the message you wanted to convey? So, so Hari, you know, there were two primary goals of um, our transformation from Capital Flow to Axio. The first is that we wanted to unify all our products that I just mentioned under a single banner. Right? We wanted a customer to access, check out finance, personal loans, and money management in a single app and experience. And that was a core impetus for, for this unification. The second is now that we have, you know, nearly we have over six million customers and we're looking at very ambitious plans ahead, we wanted to have a certain core, a philosophical core of the business that would help us scale in a sustainable fashion. And the, that core is the idea of responsible credit, right? That is sustainable for the customer and sustainable for us as a lender. And so Axio actually means worthy in Greek. Um, and the reason we picked the name is that, you know, where we want to focus going forward is not just on the credit worthy, which everyone is focusing on, but on actually making credit worthy for the large population of Indians out there. What does credit, making credit worthy mean? It means, making, it means reducing the red tape around accessing credit and making it a, a non-stressful experience where there's dignity for everyone applying, whether they're eligible or not. The second, it means making it an empathetic product that actually can grow with the customer uh, and scale as their needs scale. And the third idea of making credit worthy is that it should be designed and used with rigor. Right? Credit is a very powerful tool, but it's also something that can be misused and can sometimes get out of control. And we wanted to infuse this idea of you know, disciplined use of credit in the product, both in how we offer it to customers and how they use it from us. So make, making credit worthy is sort of our credo uh, for the next phase of growth. And that's what Axio is all about. So today, outside of the checkout finance, uh, people can also apply for personal loans, I'm thinking, using your app. Uh, how does that work today? And how quickly can somebody get a loan from you? Yeah, so, you know, like I said, checkout finance is the first entry point into the customer's lives. Today, we do a, almost 100, more than 100 crores of personal loans a month. And typically, those personal loans are to customers who entered our ecosystem through checkout finance, right? So we've seen their track record on a smaller loan, and then we kind of give them a larger ticket personal loan. At the same time, people can come and apply for a personal loan through our app or for a line of credit, you know, for shopping on other platforms, right? And that process is very similar to the checkout finance. It depends on the loan side, right? If it's a small ticket, you know, five, 10,000 rupees, again, it happens in three to five seconds. If it is a larger ticket loan, let's say 50,000 to a lakh, then we do ask customers to kind of, you know, submit more information. And a big innovation there that has happened recently has been the account aggregator, which has been live on our system now for the last, I would say, couple of months. And it's amazing to see how that has almost, if I can use the word UPI kind of the credit journey, right? Because it takes just a few seconds for the customer to give us access to their banking information, which is needed for underwriting. And within like minutes, we're able to underwrite and disburse a loan even to the tune of a lakh. And I'm just excited for the next phase when a bunch of the large public sector banks are also going to come onto this platform. Can you extend this a little further? Uh, since you mentioned account aggregator, there are some of some other digital building blocks coming into place as well, right? There's uh, uh, Oaken and 
ONDC on the e-commerce side and overall, I guess, there's also something called the Beckin protocol which can be used uh, by multiple parties to uh, figure out ways of talking to each other and enabling commerce and credit and so on. So if you throw the story forward, what is, uh, give us a sense of how you see the ecosystem evolve two, three years and, and maybe think a lot about the role that you want to play in that. Yeah, it's a great question, Hari, right? I think the big shift that we are seeing happening now is from an old paradigm, which was all about, you know, discrete loan products, personal loans, home loans, car loans, distributed through branches or through DSAs, right? To a new paradigm, which is what people call embedded finance, right? Where credit is contextually delivered at various touch points in the economic life of a customer, right? Whether it's buying a product, applying for insurance, like, you know, paying for a healthcare procedure, all of the, all of the above, right? And a lot of the innovations you mentioned are really going to be quite pivotal in making this embedded finance journey so smooth, seamless, and come to life, right? ONDC, for example, is going to create a very exciting platform to take what we do with some of the large players like Amazon and others into the small retailer ecosystem, right? Because small retailers also offer credit to their customers and those customers equally need these products, right? Um, but what ONDC will do, for example, is actually create an underlying tech infrastructure that folks like us can ride on top of to embedded credit in various workflows. Um, Oaken is working on the supply side of the equation, right? If we open up distribution through these large distribution platforms, and that becomes a very scalable way to deliver credit, how do we scale the supply side? How do we scale liquidity, right? Oaken is trying to solve that problem by creating, again, a standard set of protocols and infra for banks to be able to plug in their, themselves as a funding source into players that have developed expertise in a specific area of loan origination, right? And many of the other thing, other kind of protocols and innovations you mentioned, I would say, are further accelerating this journey. And broadly, if you look at it, the acceleration is coming on three fronts, right? The first is ease of integration, right? Both in distribution islands as well as with banks on the, on the, on the other end. The second is on ease of the customer journey, right? And, and this is where AA and UPI and a lot of these things come in. And the third is on richness of data, right? which is critical for underwriting, which is where account aggregated, even I would say some of the e-commerce protocols come in where customer shopping data can actually become a viable input into the way lenders underwrite. So all of these together, I think, are coming together to make embedded finance a reality. And if we had to make a bet, I think in five years, you will see that embedded finance in terms of volumes will be far larger than the traditional paradigm of discrete lending um, that we've seen for the last several decades. Given that you already have uh, you know, a lot of data about now six, uh, 6 million customers and what are some of the most exciting adjacent opportunities? Yeah, so see, like I said, right, you know, getting in early into the journey, the financial journey of these customers is the most important thing, right? So for us, we strongly believe that credit is the right entry point. So we start with small ticket credit. We've already now kind of poured it into larger ticket credit for their sporadic needs. I think as we look forward for the next two, three years, you know, there are three or four products that kind of make sense for us. So one is we will stick on the credit side, but go to larger ticket, larger ticket for their needs like a housing loan, a two-wheeler loan, a car loan, etc. Right. So or a student loan or whatever they may need. So basically graduate with them as they go on in the next five to ten years of their kind of life looking for different things. 
The second is, you know, uh, we've always looked at the assets side, which is credit, but there's a lot of innovation uh, that's happening on the banking side as well, right? In terms of how bank accounts operate, how do you interact with your savings account, with your current account, etc. Right? And because people now trust us on the journey as a lender, I think that level of trust and the technology that we've built using our Axio, the previous Walnut app, uh, really helps in kind of making sure we're able to provide them a seamless experience even when it comes to using of a bank account or, or kind of how do they withdraw with other savings instruments, whether that's digital gold, whether that's mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera. And so because the person is now within our ecosystem and we'd like to kind of leverage on the relationship because they trust us enough now. Uh, you know, and I look at the other product that's already live with us is personal finance management, which people kind of are using today. And, you know, from there, we also kind of, use that as a jumping off for things like insurance, health, auto insurance, etc. So I think, you know, the the product suite is kind of unlimited. The question is how do you actually sequence them and how do you kind of make sure that you're actually giving it to the customer at the right point in time in their lives and, and making sure they actually use all the products uh, in a judicious manner. So through the app, uh, are there ways in which you can kind of incrementally improve the financial literacy of your users as well? Is that something that makes sense for you? Yeah, it is, right? So today, actually, um, our app is, I think, one of the most most heavily used money management apps in the country, right? And if we look at the most popular features, um, it's checking your bank balance because most people in India are fragmented across different wallets, bank accounts, etc. Um, the second is bill reminders. And the third is actually... Go savings goals, right? So we have this idea called safe to spend, and it's a it's a it's a very popular feature on the app, where a user sets certain financial goals, and then based on his expending and income track record over the last several months, we essentially give them a, some analytics on, you know, how much they can spend on discretionary expenses through the month. So imagine you're on the last day of the month and you're about to, you know, think about whether you want that like meal or like that fancy meal or not. You can actually look at how that ties into your overall goals for the month and for the next 12 months and whether you want to go for that or you want to go for something less expensive. So um, I think that is a, is a very, very powerful set of tools, uh, especially in a country where finances are getting more complicated, right? We all now have more subscriptions. We have more bills. Uh, we have more credit instruments between credit cards, pay later, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have multiple bank accounts between, you know, public sector banks, private sector banks, etc. And so for us, the first step over the last few years has been creating visibility, right? And the app does an amazing job of actually giving customers a 360-degree view of their finances, which we believe is a first step to literacy. The second step then is agency, right? How do you actually turn those insights into actions that make a customer's financial life better? So for example, if you've ended up saving a certain amount during the month towards a goal, can you actually immediately put it, as God have said, in an FD or in a savings product that accumulates towards a certain end result that you're looking for, right? If you're um, you know, looking to pay off your credit card bill, can you actually pay it off in a way that improves your credit score rather than just you know, doing it when you're told? So the next step for us now on the app is actually creating these little triggers that lead to actions that people can take based on these insights that make their financial life better. So absolutely, the answer is yes. And we actually believe that financial literacy, money management, these are actually core complements to a good lending business. 
I get that until the digital infrastructure really reaches small towns and villages, probably be difficult for companies like Axio to ride on top of that infrastructure and reach people, people in really small towns and villages. That said, I'm just wondering if uh, you've looked at ways where, and I know that you said that much of your big jump in growth and uh, sort of crystallization of your business model has happened over the last few years. Keeping all of that in mind, are there ways in which you can take your products to really uh, small towns and villages in, in India? For example, the delivery people, for example, they go really far. The post office goes pretty much to every nook and corner country. I'm just thinking a lot. Are there opportunities to partner with these kinds of uh, networks? No, so you're actually spot on, Hari. So what we've already started right over the last year or so, is actually, like I said, riding a lot on the distribution of these large platforms, right? So today, we have customers in about 14,000 odd pin codes in the country with about 50% or 60% coming outside the top 10 metros or the top 10 large cities. Um, as we kind of partner with more ecosystems that the names, the likes of which you mentioned, but other large e-commerce ecosystems that are actually delivering to tier 3 towns, tier 4 towns, right? Uh, we are in deep conversations with a few of them. I think that is really going to open uh, the channel for those customers for us because setting up a branch and all is not something we can do and it's, it's too expensive for anyone to do, right? Uh, and so we have to rely on our model which is leveraging the distribution of our large eco ecosystem partners and kind of use them as a jumping off point for credit and really being the first credit provider for most of these people. Now, a lot of them may have taken microfinance loans, but that's again very limited in nature. And so for us, a lot of these customers could be graduating from a microfinance loan to, let's say, a more digital provider like us. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, you know your, your own personal entrepreneurial journey, if I can put it in that way. I mean, in the initial years, what were some of your biggest challenges? And, and maybe now, uh, what are some of the biggest challenges? I just want to think about if there are any specific interesting ways in which uh, and, and interesting lessons that have come out of now, I think next year, it'll be 10 years since you incorporated the company. So, Yeah, you know, it's been quite the journey, Hari, right? And I think the the biggest balancing act that we have had to get better at is growth and risk, right? And uh, it, it has been challenging at times, right? Because as an entrepreneur in India, you're fundamentally an optimist. When you're working in the financial services space, everything looks like a massive opportunity. So it's very tempting in the early years to expand rapidly and diversify and try and be everything to everyone, right? And then candidly, we did do some of that, the early diversification in the first few years. What we realized very quickly is that, you know, there is a rate of growth and diversification above which your ability to control risk really degrades. Right? Because risk is all about focus. It's about depth of data in a particular segment, a particular vertical. And so these two forces start to you know, pull the organization in very different directions. And after learning you know, some things the hard way and making some mistakes, I think we finally kind of got to a point where we said, look, these are the customer segments and the products where we have a right to win. Let's bet the house on these and put a lot of singular focus from a risk and, and product and tech perspective in these areas. And that has paid a lot of dividends, especially over the last two or three years. And so as we look ahead, the, the thing that Gaurav and I you know, grapple with on a daily basis is what is the right rate of growth? 
And now this might sound like a weird answer, right? I mean, in the VC-funded world, the right rate of growth is the fastest rate of growth. That's not true in our business, right? Um, so we have to constantly calibrate and say, look, are we growing too fast? Uh, if so, you know, what are the what are the where do we need to slow down? If we're if we're if we're growing at the right pace and we think there's room to accelerate, what are the guardrails we need to place from a risk perspective that ensures that our growth doesn't you know get out of hand and the risk doesn't start to deteriorate, right? So this kind of balance between growth, NPA growth, NPA growth, NPA, it's not just a strategic challenge; it's actually an org challenge, right? Because you need you need to in some way evolve into an into a culture where where people are happy to sometimes slow things down, cut back, be watchful, right? Try something and then wait to see where the learnings come through rather than rush to scale it up. And that's often very counter to the DNA of a tech company, right? Which is why I would say this whole fin versus tech balancing act that we, we've had to do in our own heads and in the culture of our own team has been the biggest learning over the last few years. I, I meant to ask earlier, and I thought probably it doesn't make sense since you said quite categorically that your entry point is the sort of checkout finance, which basically means individual users, folks like me. But uh, and but since you also mentioned Razorpay, uh, you know, companies like that are also trying to expand their uh, business loan enablement platforms and so on. So I'm just wondering, at one point, Capital Float was giving out working capital loans, etc. So today... Is there so, you know, you know, we so in particular with the Razorpay partnership, a lot of it is consumer facing. So because they have thousands and thousands of merchants, we actually enable their merchants to provide checkout financing for their consumers. So it's like a B2B2C kind of model over there. Uh, while we don't particularly do working capital, etc. today for businesses, you know, the nature of the industry structure and consumers in India is such that almost 40 to 50% of our customers are self-employed. Right. And I don't think, and that DNA or rather our SME DNA has actually really helped track and help scale uh, uh, our customer base over the last couple of years. Mm. Any points that either of you wants to highlight that I may have missed? I mean, in the small context of this conversation. I think, I think we touched a little bit on this, but I think, you know, just what's happening in the world today, particularly in India around regulation, I think given the industry that we are in, a lot of, uh, you know, new initiatives, the digital lending guidelines, etc. by the RBI, I think have been very positive moves, uh, right? Uh, in some sense to kind of, there was a lot of Chinese lending apps or other people who were not kind of following the letter and the spirit of the law. And I think it's great in some ways to see the validation of the hard work that we've done because we've always been chosen to be regulated, follow the letter, spirit of the law. And in some sense, that hard work of, you know, seven, eight years of compliance and following every little aspect is, has, has come to an interesting point where a lot of the new guidelines laid out by the RBI is very supportive of people of who have had the right business model from a regulatory sense. And I think that's a very important shift that's currently happening in the fintech ecosystem. Mm. Is there anything that you would like to see in terms of regulation while some of these things have been positive? You know, I think the, the the big challenge that remains in India is liquidity, right? I think as tech has crashed the cost of lending and has improved the risk in lending, um, but as the demand is so large, the supply side is always going to be a bottleneck from time to time, right? And I think 
any kind of regulatory interventions that open up the supply side will be very helpful right so i'll give you a specific example we have one of the i would say smallest securitization markets in the world right? i think we're a tenth of most global securitization markets on the debt side right and if you look globally every most de- large developed nations have a debt capital market at different tiers at risk right and there are different people willing to fund different types of risk in india that's still very nascent and until that becomes of a certain scale and we have multiple participants banks non banks you know investment funds all you know being part of a vibrant debt securitization market i think you're always going to see challenges in scaling up the liquidity side so i think any regulatory intervention that you know further eases securitization norms with the right guardrails of course and promotes a more vibrant debt capital market that can fund multiple tiers of risk particularly when it's around financial inclusion would be very welcome and very good for the sector all right excellent very nice update gentlemen uh, about axio wonderful that you all made time for this and buying in the middle of your work day really appreciate it and definitely hope to keep the conversation going thank you so much thanks ari thanks so much ari that's it for this conversation you can find all our podcasts at forbesindia.com and on your favorite podcast apps i'm hari arakali thank you for listening